Well, I think that uh, I could just go home now and be blessed and be challenged and be encouraged uh, by that. I know um, Meg and I have, have uh, personally uh, been invested in that too with Ian. And so if you would like to support uh, that food distribution, you can talk to Ian. And uh, we, we really believe in church-to-church partnerships here and just seeing the church in action in different parts of the world is just such a powerful thing. Uh, and so, uh, my name's Brad. If we haven't had the chance to meet friends, either those who are in the room here or joining us uh, online, and I'm part of the teaching and leadership team at Jericho. And today is Pentecost Sunday, uh, the Sunday when in the Christian calendar we celebrate the coming in power uh, of the Holy Spirit. And so, to, to celebrate this, we're doing something today that we have never done before in the life of Jericho, and we may never do it again. I don't know. Uh, but we're inviting people who have not previously been baptized by immersion to enter into the waters of baptism. And you may not have even planned to come today to be baptized. And I want to also let you know, we actually don't have anyone that has to date said yes. So uh, we're just filling the tank in faith this morning. And um, if by the end of the sermon you're feeling stirred to respond, know that we brought lots of extra towels. We've got some changes of clothes for you to go home in. Um, And uh, if not, and no one wants to be baptized today, that's okay too. We're not into high-pressure tactics here at Jericho Ridge. And we do want to signal for you, though, a significant change in the way in which we practice and walk out baptism uh, and how we got here and what this means for our life together as a community of faith. So I want to back up a moment and just uh, say a few things by way of context. We've been in this spring in a teaching series uh, going through our confession of faith, which is a statement of our 18 core convictions on different topics or items that we believe the Scripture teaches. uh, And we've synthesized that, and that's our expression here as Mennonite Brethren Churches in Canada of uh, what the Scripture teaches and how we live that out in, in meaningful ways together. And we said early on in this series that one of the big differences between a, a creedal tradition and a confessional tradition, so a creedal tradition would be more like uh, a high church or a reformed tradition where the creeds and the articles of expression of faith do not change. And a confessional tradition, which is our tradition that we stand in, is that, uh, that we are open to changing our minds or sharpening our thinking on certain topics from time to time uh, as we see that there is a a shared conviction among churches to do that. And so one of the articles, Article 8, uh, which is our, our speaking to the biblical understanding of baptism, Christian baptism, we say things like, baptism is for all who repent and confess Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior who have received the Holy Spirit and pledged to live as disciples who obey Jesus in all of life. Baptism is for those who understand its basic meaning, are able to be accountable to Christ and to the church, and who request it voluntarily. And so our understanding of baptism 
comes out of our origin story uh, in the 16th century, in the Reformation and the Radical Reformation, where at that time uh, there, there was uh, the state church that was practicing baptism of infants, and so the Anabaptists or the rebaptizers or those who were baptized anew or again were those who stepped outside of that tradition and said, well, let's ask, what does the Scripture teach about this? And they were uh, convicted that they should be personally baptized, that they should request that voluntarily. And so the question that always we have to ask when we're talking about baptism is, is a 16th century issue, something that defined us, our forebears in the 16th century, is this still expressed well? Does it still hold meaning for us? Does it still um, uh, find life and vitality and our expression of our understanding of the Scriptures in the 21st century in the way that it did in that era. And we have to parse apart when we're thinking about this tradition and history and uh, theology and culture. And so what that means is actually looking at our confession with a, a sense of distance, a sense of a little bit of, of willingness to ask questions and to see if this is still the best way of expressing the way that we want to live together. And so our National Faith and Life team, uh, who's in charge of uh, leading us through explorations of the Confession of Faith, did a survey in 2015, and the question was, what areas of dissonance do you see in the Confession? Where's some rub? And so local churches and leaders were invited to give feedback on that. And one area of rub was in this area of baptism. And there were two kind of questions that came to the surface. The first one was the question of the relationship between baptism and participation in the local church. And the second question, uh, pastorally, which we don't have a lot of time to address today, is the rebaptism of those who were baptized as infants. And, and what we were observing is that there were churches in our family who had separated or for whom there was distance between the practice of baptism and the practice of incorporation into the life of a church. Now, here at Jericho, we have, we have linked those two things, uh, and we've linked them because of what we see taught in and witnessed in the New Testament. But it also feels important to say that for Anabaptists, what we might call believer's baptism, or baptism that follows in the chronology of your life, your profession of faith, for Anabaptists, as much as they argue about this, Baptism is actually not the central issue here. It's actually a symbol of a central issue. And the central issue is the question of what does it mean to follow Jesus? And what kind of community nurtures that kind of discipleship? And I think that's a helpful frame for us because it helps us understand that when it comes to the difference between traditions, oftentimes we can get very caught up in fighting about things like the mode of baptism. Were you sprinkled? Did it happen at, at all, the, all of these kinds of things? But what we're really talking about is the sequence of and the practice of discipleship or followership of 
Jesus. And so in a high church tradition, baptism comes first, then profession or confirmation of faith, and then discipleship is happening following that. And so in our expression, the sequence is more likely profession of faith, baptism, and then discipleship. And so this is not to, to denigrate other traditions, but they're actually just saying something different about the practice of discipleship and when and how that happens in their tradition. But when we started as uh, in 2015 and beyond to look at our confession here in Canada again, we found that we were a little bit fuzzy on a few points, and so we undertook the process of actually revising the confession. And so the National Faith and Life team processed those questions being asked on the connectivity between baptism and membership, and then also on rebaptism. And uh, they began to and decided, hey, let's open up the confession for exploration again. And we're going to look at this one article. So we began to sit together. We studied scriptures together on baptism. And then the National Faith and Life team took a draft of all of the things that were said, and they rewrote the article, and then they circulated that for input, uh, and then they brought it back to the national family for affirmation. And so that process took about four and a half years, and that gives you just a little snapshot into the way in which we as a national family go about the work of uh, exploring and looking at our confession. So, and just again, creeds don't work that way. No one's opening up the Nicene Creed and saying, should we explore how we'd like to say this differently in our day and time? Uh, and so that's a core differential. But we felt that Article 8 needed to be sharpened. We needed to say some things with a little bit more clarity. And so two big shifts uh, came out of this. The first shift is that as we read the scriptures together, it became increasingly clear that baptism in early Christian communities was much more adjacent to the conversion experience than it had become in most churches and in most Christian communities and, and truthfully in Jericho Ridge. In the New Testament, the more texts that we read, the more we became uh, convinced of the fact that people believed and were baptized, believed and were baptized, and that this happened oftentimes in the same day, and sometimes right in that same moment it occurred. And in our Mennonite Brethren churches and here at Jericho, we had actually drifted and we had, be, we had, we had begun to think of baptism in a way that... Uh, probably was more like a marker of some spiritual maturity that you had achieved in some elusive way or as a rite of passage into a community, maybe when you were a teen and so we were borrowing some kind of catechetical practices from other traditions. And so the two things that we really emphasized when we revised this article is that we want it to be much clearer that we were moving baptism way earlier in the spiritual journey of individuals. And, and so that was a big shift 
that we articulated and that we made. And the second big thing that shifted was our language around the way that we wanted to express this. And so, uh, Ahti had asked a question uh, online earlier this week. Hey, I noticed a shift in the two uh, around this sense of uh, like repentance from sin, a personal repentance from sin. And one of the things that we noticed about the article is that the language was all about me and I type language, very individualistic. And so, uh, in an unintended way, we had picked up some themes from our culture on baptism, and the emphasis was on what you wanted to do, as opposed to, in the New Testament, the emphasis is on God's saving work in Jesus, and then our response to God, and what it is that then we're saying as a result of that. And so, the previous expression of Article 8 had this very strong linguistic emphasis on the actions and choices of individuals, but what it lacked was that robust sense of baptism being our response in faith to God's actions. God acts first in Christ to forgive, to cleanse a person from sin, to free us, as we sang, from the power of sin and death, to fill us with the Holy Spirit. And then baptism actually is just a public expression, a public bearing of witness, a testimony to that reality of what God had done. And so, in the previous expression, we were wrestling with language. We wrestled with, should we use, um, and we were using words like sign or symbol or all kinds of, of, of pieces that we were trying to use, and we shifted away from that to the language of testify, to the language of bearing witness, to the language of, of testimony, because we wanted to be sure that we captured adequately the sense that this is God at work in a person's life, and then you are just simply saying, yes, I, I, am, I am bearing witness to the fact that God is at work in my life in that way. All we are doing when we enter the waters of baptism is joyfully responding to God's invitation in Christ and bearing witness to that. And that's a lot of preamble, but it sets the stage for our baptism here today. And, and the reason I say that is because lots of people that I talk to are holding off on being baptized because, frankly, they know themselves and you know yourself really, really well. And so oftentimes your inner dialogue is things like, well, I'm not in any state of spiritual maturity or cleaned upness to go through the waters of baptism. And, and I want to say real clearly today that at Jericho Ridge, if you have said yes to Jesus, if you have a desire for spiritual growth to follow Jesus, if you're interested in participation here in the life of this faith community and are saying, I want to walk with you and you with me, then we want you to be baptized. No one who's entered the waters of baptism in the history of baptism except for Jesus has ever been perfect, and so you will not be the first person, the first sinner to get dunked. 
And, and I want to also signal for you that this was a wrestle for us as elders because our, our sense on this is now we, we're clear on some of the implications of moving baptism earlier. Moving baptism earlier in people's spiritual journeys means that we are saying that you do not have it all together. And you are, we are going to be baptizing people who do not have it all together. We are going to baptize people who still struggle with some sins that are private and some sins that are public still in their lives. People are going to go into the waters of baptism who are still very greedy and selfish with their resources. People who lie. People who have hurt you in Christian community and relationship. People who are still walking out of sexual brokenness. But if we wait around for too much maturing into sanctification, we're never going to get around to baptizing some of us. And so we're going to get comfortable here at Jericho Ridge with the messiness that the majority of your discipleship is going to happen after you enter the waters of baptism. And that's actually probably almost always been true for most people anyways. But we're just signaling this clearly in this baptismal event. So you might still be saying, okay, Brad, I hear you, but I'm still hung up on this notion of like, we changed the confession of faith, and the national family somehow studied the scriptures, and this caused this shift. Like, did the Bible change in some way, or were we just like, since the 16th century to now, kind of not paying attention to some things there? What was going on with that? Well, I want to take us through this morning some of the texts that we studied, and I want to just highlight some of the things that we were paying attention to in fresh ways. And I want to say again uh, clearly that this might be your moment and your day, you might already be sensing that the Spirit is stirring in some way in you. And so we're going to say, uh, after we finish the message today, just like Philip did to the Ethiopian eunuch, here is water. What would prevent you from being baptized? So let's uh, turn in our Bibles to Matthew chapter 3. We're going to start with the baptism of Jesus, because this is actually an interesting exploration. And this is recorded for us in Matthew chapter 3, verses 13 to 17. I'll be reading some of that uh, in the New Living Translation. And there's two things of six things that this text shows us about baptism. So starting in verse 13 of Matthew chapter 3, Jesus went from Galilee to the Jordan River to be baptized by John. But John, the baptizer, tried to talk him out of it. John said, am I the one. I am the one who needs to be baptized by you. Why are you coming to me? But Jesus says it should be done for we must carry out all of the good that God requires. And so John agreed to baptize him. And after Jesus' baptism, as Jesus came up out of the water, he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove, settling on him, and a voice from heaven, God the Father spoke and said, this is my dearly loved Son who brings me great joy. There's two important things happening here. And, and one of the questions that it is right to ask is, 
why in the world did Jesus think it's necessary to be baptized if baptism for us in our tradition exemplifies or speaks about the forgiveness of sins? And Jesus, as the second person of the triune Godhead, never sinned. Why was Jesus baptized? Well, it's important to just step back from uh, not only our contemporary mode of looking at baptism, and even the 16th century modes of baptism, and say that the 16th century Anabaptists were not the first religious group doing baptism by immersion. In this time in history, in the ancient world, uh, many within the Jewish tradition were being baptized. John the baptizer is out at the Jordan River, and he's calling and inviting prophetically people to enter the water, and he baptizes them. And what's going on here is, is this sense of baptism in the era of the New Testament, and what John is doing is it has this a sense of strong association with incorporation or inclusion into a group. That's why, why Jesus says, this is something that God is requiring of me. So, in that tradition and in that time, what's happening is, is people, both Jews who have wandered and then Gentiles who want to become converts to obedient Judaism are required to enter a pool of water. It was called the mikvah. And they would immerse themselves in this. And by that action, they were saying, I want to associate myself with the people of God. I want to become known with this group. It was like putting on a team jersey. It was a public witness to an internal reality. And so Jesus is making this powerful statement of identification of and inclusion within the people of God and all of humanity. He's identifying and saying, I too want to follow God. I am amongst those who desire to follow God. That's what Jesus was symbolizing, one thing, with his baptism. And then the second thing that's powerful to note here is the Spirit of God and the voice of God speaking blessing over the life of Jesus. And one of the things that just struck us as we were studying this text together was when this happened in the life and ministry of Jesus. It happens before his public ministry, before he does any preaching that's recorded, before he performs any recorded miracles, before he's identified as a rabbi with wisdom, and, and it is this moment in his life before this where God speaks a word of blessing and belovedness over Jesus before he does a single thing to earn that. And this speaks, this just spoke so powerfully to us of the timeline of baptisms. Because baptism does not mark some kind of length of service merit badge in the Christian journey. It's a moment, a moment in time, a moment where as the community of faith, we as the visible expression of Christ in the world gather around you and we speak this word of blessedness and this word of belovedness over your life and into your life. 
And so if you want to enter into baptism today, that's what we're going to do as a community. We're going to speak that word of belovedness and blessedness on God's behalf over you. So baptism, first, a sign of incorporation and identification. Secondly, it's a testimony of God's saving action in Christ. You are beloved, you are accepted by God, not because of what you have done, but because of what God has done, not because of how amazing you are or how you have lived your Christian life, but again, because of the saving work and action of Jesus. So, we keep tracing the theme of the New Testament. Turn with me to the last part of Matthew. Matthew chapter 28, verse 19. And this was another text that spoke to us powerfully when we studied it. And we've read this and and taught on it recently, so I will say very little about it. But just Matthew 28, verse 19 says, uh, this is Jesus' instruction to us. Uh, It says, go and make disciples of all of the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all of the commands I have given you. So again, look at the sequence there. Baptism, and then the teaching happens of the new disciples. So baptism is like right at that journey. As a person is a new disciple in Christ. And then the sequence of teaching happens. And so baptism, we want to be real clear. This is after someone has said yes to Jesus, to follow Jesus with their life. That's what it means to be a disciple, to be an apprentice of Jesus. But it also, this teaching of people to obey all of the commands of Jesus, that's happening after these new disciples are baptized. Baptize Confess Christ, be baptized, then start on your journey of learning to obey. And so the way we want to say this is that baptism is a step. It's a discipleship step in the context of obeying everything that Jesus commanded. It is not a marker that you have mastered obeying everything that Jesus has commanded. It is most often to occur on your new discipleship journey. And in many ways, I think part of the movement or the shift of baptism to later in people's journeys maybe was inadvertently designed to push back or was more reactionary than necessary against those who were baptizing infants. And, and so maybe in an unintentional way, we're like, well, we don't want to baptize infants, so make sure we get it as far away from them being infants as is humanly possible so that we're real clear on this. And maybe our desire for catechism, for teaching, and for education first, we're very cerebral in the West, might be driving the baptismal bus more than we're willing to admit. But baptism in the New Testament witness is is not a graduation marker. It's an entry marker. And then content mastery and learning and growing as a disciple follows. It's one of many steps. Let's keep moving in the text. Let's go to the uh, book of Acts, chapter 2. Peter uh, is preaching on Pentecost Sunday. 
And in Acts chapter 2, verses 38 and 39, at the end of Peter's Pentecost sermon, Peter says, each of you must repent of your sins, turn to God, and be baptized in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is to you, to your children, and to those far away, all who have been called by the Lord Jesus. In other translations, this comes through even more strongly. Repent and be baptized, every one of you. And so one of the things that we see here is that in the early church experience, baptism was not an optional add-on or an action limited to a special spiritual group. It was for all. It was for everyone who said yes to Jesus, was and is to be baptized. And part of this is actually a, a chronic, um, it's a powerful statement against the chronic individualism of our culture. Because this then becomes something that if you have said yes to Jesus, we all do this. It's not something that is just for those who are super-Christians in some way. Baptism is for everyone, regardless of their socioeconomic status, their race, their background, how many letters they have behind their name, anything they've done or not done in ministry. And that's why this is picked up in other places like Ephesians, where Paul says in teaching, he says, we have one Lord, one faith, one baptism. And he's speaking again of this sense of unifying. This is a profoundly unifying expression uh, with the millions and millions of those who have gone before you and us in history who have been baptized. We are identifying with them in faith, with the family of God. And this theme of identification continues through the final two scripture texts that deal with the topic of baptism. Let's look at Romans chapter 6, Romans 6, verses 3 and 4. And Paul uh, is inviting here us to think about how this theme of baptism and actually how the functional act of baptism is linked to the theme of death, not only the death of Christ and the resurrection of Christ, but the expression that you and I have when we say yes to Jesus, that we too want to die to self and to sin. And so in Romans chapter 6, verses 3 and 4, Paul says this, Have you forgotten that when we were joined with Christ Jesus in baptism, we joined with him in his death? For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. And, and many of the texts in the New Testament actually associate this this expression of baptism, even the functional act itself. And that's why we as Anabaptists uh, and those who stand in that tradition practice uh, baptism by immersion, the functional act of actually going under the water. It's like going down into the grave. Colossians says this, you have been buried with Christ in 
baptism. And then that sense of coming up out of the waters of baptism. That's linked in the New Testament to this sense of faith and affirmation about what we believe is our ultimate hope and our ultimate future, the bodily resurrection into the fullness of God's eternal kingdom. In Article 8, we say it this way, quote, Baptism by immersion is a powerful testimony that a believer has been washed by the Spirit, has died with Christ to sin, and has been raised to newness of life. So remember, it's, it's not baptism that saves us. The water doesn't magically in freeing from sin, in moving us from death to life. And it is um, to new life in Christ. It's like you are participating in a dramatic reenactment of that which God has done and that which Christ has accomplished and then that has transpired in your life spiritually. And so again, the work of the Spirit cleansing happens in that moment when you confess Jesus as Lord. You receive in that moment the gift and the indwelling and the empowerment of the Spirit. And at conversion then, because the Spirit of Christ, Christ Himself, God the Father, has come to dwell and live in you, you have everything that you need in order to be baptized. You lack nothing. And so our final New Testament imagery with respect to baptism is just another statement of identity. Look with me at Galatians chapter 3, verses 27, where again Paul writing says this, all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ like putting on new clothes. Think about the early church and what it looked like. Oftentimes, these were groups of people meeting in homes or in, we see Paul encountering some groups of believers meeting outdoors down by bodies of water. And these groups are combined uh, and comprised of radically different people, people who are still slaves, people who are slave owners, men, women, people who are from Jewish background, people who are from non-Jewish or Gentile backgrounds. They gather together in these communities for witness, for worship, for service, and occasionally someone says, I want to be baptized. And in that action, in that moment, in that, it's like the person is putting on new clothing. They're clothing themselves in an identity that is rooted not in their Jewishness, not in their maleness or femaleness, in their economic status or their gendered status, but they are primarily saying, my identity is in Christ, and that is what I am choosing to live out of. 
baptism then is this powerful unifying expression where anyone who says, I want to be baptized, is putting on, as it were, that clothing, that identification, entering into the unity that we share. And so, baptism, it declares something true about you. It's saying that baptism declares that one's identity in Christ supersedes any other identity. So, that is a lot to process in a short period of time. So, I want to just summarize what it is that we are inviting you to consider. We are, from this day forward, stripping baptism back to the bare essentials here at Jericho Ridge. And so we're asking only three basic questions if you want to be baptized. The first question that we will ask you is this. Have you made a personal profession of Jesus as Lord? Because baptism follows that. And, and if you are here today and you've never taken that step, that would be our deepest heart and desire for you. And maybe today's the day where you say, you know what, I want to be incorporated into God's family. I want, I hear these people sing about it, I hear them talk about it, about what it means to be forgiven of sins, to be released from guilt and shame. I want that. I desire that. And maybe for you today is the day, and you're going to say yes to Jesus. We would love to walk you through that profession of faith where you believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord. You declare with your mouth that God raised him from the dead, and you will be saved. So, baptism is for those who have made a personal profession that Jesus is Lord. Second basic requirement for baptism is do you have a desire to grow in your discipleship? We are not saying, oh, you're perfect. We're not saying you're mature. You're just saying, you know what? I want to learn. I want to be an apprentice to Jesus, and I want people around me to help me with that. That's why we baptize people into community. It's why we would say it's probably not the best thing to be baptized just on a whim somewhere when you're at the Jordan River and it strikes you and you're with a group of people who are not going to journey with you. Or maybe you go to summer camp or other places like that. That's not bad, evil, and wrong. We're just saying your expression of a desire to grow is wedded into a life of community where we want to say yes to that and walk with you in that. And so the third thing is, do you have a desire to be a part of Christ's body, the church, as expressed here at Jericho Ridge. And we want to say very clearly that just like by you going into the waters of baptism, you're not saying you're perfect. Us saying you, you are becoming a part of a Jericho Ridge, we're not perfect either as a group of people. So we want to joyfully welcome you and disciple you and just let you know with a sense of clarity that as we go on that journey together for however long God puts us in the same space that we desire to help in whatever ways we can. And so I think sometimes what has, what has been a barrier for people to get baptized is it's been made into such a big deal, which 
you know, you have to write out your whole life story. In some traditions, Pastor Wally preached on it a couple of months ago. You know, you have to, like, have your whole life open to a group of people, and they're going to pepper you with all kinds of questions, you know, about your maturity and about your past actions and all of those things. And so, you know, I, I get some of those things, and I understand why baptism can be a big deal. But for some of you, because you've seen other people go through that kind of a journey, you've said, I, I don't want it to be that kind of a big, big, big deal in my life. And we're saying to you, that's, we want to join you with that. Let's do it today then. I mean, we're going to make a deal of it, but we're not going to make a big deal of it in that way. Is that fair? Um, because some of you, I think, have just become unnecessarily hesitant to being baptized. And so we want to just take some of those things away and just say, if you can say yes to those baptism basics, then we are open to baptizing you here today. And so just to get clear, our elders have spent time earlier this year determining, like, what are some things that would be helpful to say in terms of some guidance, particularly for parents? Uh, and one thing that we would, we would say is we want to be clear because we're journeying together we want you to know the things that we're going to bring to the table in the teaching them to obey all that we have that Jesus has commanded us in the Matthew 28 text. And so some of those things we've just highlighted in this series. We're going to teach and talk about those things. And so if you've been around for this series, that's super helpful. You're already on a journey with us of discipling. And so that just ensures that there's some clarity because we want to minimize surprises. Does it mean you have to agree with Jericho on everything? No. But we just want to be clear. These are the, thing, these are the places which we stand uh, in, a, in terms of our read on Scripture. And then the other thing we would say is just have you been around for a little bit? Have you attended Jericho Ridge for uh, the last six months? This, this ensures that there's some kind of relational congruity with us and, and we can kind of walk together and us and you and then Pastor Wally mentioned next Sunday night we're having a, a baptism and membership class. And if you have a pre-commitment to that, don't let that be your barrier. We'll meet with you. We'll walk with you. Uh, Miriam saying, question, June 12th. Sorry, not July the 12th. Yeah, that's helpful. Um, <laughs> next Sunday evening. And if that's a barrier for you and you're like, I didn't know that you were being baptized, I didn't know that I had to be available on the 12th, we'll work with you on that one. We'll explore those with you. And then we just want to say, we, we would like this to be something that is for those who are in grade 6 and above, just so that the individual, especially uh, teens and students, can be the one taking the lead, as opposed to the parents nudging them and saying, you should get baptized today, you should get baptized today. So we just want to be clear, this is admittedly an arbitrary age cutoff for today, but we just want to signal that uh, we would like those ones um, who want to be baptized to, to be the ones who are saying yes to that. So I'm going to ask John and the team to come up and lead us in two uh, songs of worship, and, and maybe for you, you've already been baptized, and this will just be a time for you to just reflect back on and thank God for uh, the, the, your baptism. And maybe you just want to say, God, I, I remember that moment in my life. I remember the, the freshness and the vitality I had of relating to you in that season. And maybe you just want to ask God to rekindle that sense of joy and of spiritual passion on this Pentecost Sunday. And then if you've not been baptized, then today is your day. 
And so here's what I want to do. Today, the action step for you is to go to the back. And normally, we have people that are available for prayer at the back. Today, those people are available just for those who are wanting to be baptized. And so Pastor Wally, Pastor Jason, and Miriam, uh, representing our elders team, are at the back. And at some point in the next two songs, if you would like to be baptized, I want you to just head back and just tap one of them on the shoulder and say, hey, I want to be baptized. Uh, And they'll pray with you. And then after two songs, um, if there's anyone that would like to be baptized, we will joyfully baptize them. If there's no one, that's okay too. We're, We're totally fine with that. So you don't need to feel any pressure from that today. We just want to create the opportunity for those who would like to say yes Uh, to be baptized, to act on that in some way. Uh, And so I just invite you as we move into a time of worship, uh, if you're willing and able, you're welcome to stand with us, and John and the team will lead us through two songs that just declare our our, uh, desire to be followers after Jesus. So let's stand if you're able and worship together, and we'll see where it goes from here.